Welcome to the Success IQ Podcast, the show for entrepreneurs who want to create and live an exceptional life. I'm your host, Jeff Nicholson, and this is episode six. Hello, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I hope you are having a truly amazing day. We have got another great guest lined up for you. A good friend of mine, Neville Tynemouth, is going to talk about sales success. Neville is the author of Sales Success on LinkedIn and is recognized as an excellent facilitator, bringing new ideas, methods and approaches to life for those he works with. Inspiring business owners, directors and their teams with the real world practical tools while getting individuals and businesses fired up, focused and understanding the behavioral shifts to achieve success. Creating highly effective, high impact tools that people can use is key in both Neville's seminars and workshops. Inspiring the next and supporting the now through tried and tested methods while challenging the norm the accepted and folklore that is built up in sales and business. Nev, I really just want to say thanks very much and welcome to the show. Jeff, thanks very much for that uh, and, and thanks for inviting me on. Really appreciate it. I oh, know it's a tr- it's a real pleasure, my friend. Um, so let's find out a little bit more about you, about your journey, what brought you into this journey of entrepreneurship and doing what you're doing. So if you could share with us your your path. Okay, that's, yeah. Uh, my path, I suppose, goes back quite some time. I was uh, very in, uh, in, interested in enterprise and entrepreneurship as a kid, I suppose. Um, but one of the things that may have held me back at the time was I didn't really understand what enterprise and entrepreneurship was. Um, I, I reflect on it now. All my family and uh, friends of family and extended family all had employed jobs, and I thought that was the only route for me. Uh, I did a couple of things as a kid. I, I started my own car washing round and tried to franchise that out at uh, 14 or 15, which um, worked okay. Um, I, I went to an employed route, went through university like a lot of folks do, and for my sins, got an economics degree, which is um, interesting in terms of entrepreneurship. Um, but but then I went off and, and started into a sales career and started um, – digging into the process of selling and engaging customers. Uh, I worked in retail sales. And then really I started a career that's lasted about 25, 27 years now in selling. Um, So everything from a a starting position as a sales merchandiser. Uh, My first ever sales job, I was really, really fortunate, right place at right time. The company I worked for uh, had exclusive rights to launch the Dyson product when it first came in the UK. So James Dyson at that time brought the DA01, I believe it was called. Uh, And then we launched it as the DC01. He brought that back from Japan. And I was involved with the first sales of Dyson, which got me very, very interested in how a, a revolutionary new product hits market and what it can do with that. Uh, I continued through my sales career in uh, various different large and small organizations involved in a various different size of account management, looking after major clients, um, and ended up with BT. Uh, I had a 10-year stint with BT, British Telecoms, uh, and um, as part of that role, I ended up um, in a position where I was managing a team. We had a £110 million target. There was just uh, 10 of us at a desk with a £110 million sales target. Uh, And as part of that journey, um, BT wanted to do more in the coaching space. And they decided to start a coaching program. They interviewed managers, and I said, you know what, I'd love to do that. 
but I was really a bit cheeky and said, actually, rather than just doing it, I'd love to run it. And um, again, uh, we have an expression in the northeast of England. I'm sure you know, Jeff, uh, shy bends getting out, which means effectively, if you don't ask, you don't get. Uh, and I asked and I got and, and I was put in charge of uh, 12 sales coaches. Uh, the entire division had about 430 people and we had a, t a sales target of just short of a billion pounds. And we had the uh, the awesome task of going out across three sites across the UK and helping these teams achieve their sales goals. I really, really enjoyed that and got fired up by that and enthused by that and realized that my my role of learning sales by doing and that hands-on experience really helped and gave me credibility. And what I thought was um, digging back into 2010 now, the height of a recession, a brilliant time to start a business. I thought, you know what, uh, let's, let's jack up that safe um, corporate uh, world with the company car and the expenses account and the shares and the security and um, all the rest of it and start my own business and new, result, new results um, training as it was then and new results as it is now um, was born uh, March 2010 and we've been going six years now. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. It's interesting as well as is you, the amount of times you hear those people that have gone from that safe corporate, yes. well, safe-ish, yes. should we say, yes. that safe-ish corporate world, and they've just got this burning desire to do something more. And I guess for you, was it the the want to be able to be in more control of your own destiny, or do you was for you it was, I think I can do better, or I would like to do this differently because I think this would work? What for you was that decision? I, I, three really important points, I Jeff. Pretty a, a bit of each, if I'm honest. Um, I like okay. setting my own destiny, uh, and that means for me, over the last six years, uh, learning from my mistakes, which I think is, um, you know, uh, it's always nice when you learn from other people's mistakes, but nothing sharpens the mind more when you uh, make mistakes yourself in business and learn, you know, real valuable life lessons from that. Um, but equally, um, being able to do things in a different way, in a better way. Uh, working as part of a big organization has some fantastic pluses and I love my time at BT but um, one of the things I wasn't able to do was set direction so if I if I could spot something was a good thing to do it was very very hard for me to turn around what effectively is a huge super tanker of an organization and obviously all the people involved in moving that is just so complex and with a small agile business like New Results, where there's you know less than half and half dozen of us, um, if we spot an opportunity, if we spot a great idea, we can do it really, really quickly. And if we spot a gap in the market that we want to go and fail, and if we spot a new opportunity, we go off and we go and do it. And and that's that's what I love about doing what I do now. Yeah, no, it's 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 a it's much the same similar sort of reason why I started. Um, you know, I think it's just this desire of being. And you're absolutely right. It's you. You love to learn from other people's mistakes, but quite often you don't until you've made them yourself. Though <laughs> it's one of those. It's one of those strange things. It, it is. As a tiny example, one of the things I used to say as a salesperson, very, very often, I learned this very, very early in my career, and and it's an old phrase. So uh, apologies, I'm tr trotting out some old stuff, but um, um, it's turnover is vanity, profit is sanity, and cash is king. 
Now, I knew that as a salesperson, I knew exactly what that meant, and I applied it when I go and went and spoke to my uh, customers, uh, and that was a well-worn phrase that I used. And it wasn't until about two years in the business when I went to order something very low value, and my wife's the co-director in the business, I said to my wife, I'm just going to order, it was something like stapler or something really, really just kind of pathetically small in value. I went, I'm just about to go and order a stapler or a hole punch, and she went, you can't, we have no money. I said, what do you mean we have no money? I've done loads of work. We've sent loads of invoices. And she said, well, yes, but nobody's paid us. And it wasn't until, and, you know, and, and again, it's, it's, it's very different having an expression or a phrase or a tool that you understand. But I think it's very different when you start living that and you, you learn the lessons of things like managing your cash flow effectively and making that, make sure that folks that say they're going to pay you actually pay you when they say they're going to pay you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So sales is your area of expertise. Yes. Yes. You know, and it's also quite an interesting topic, isn't it? Because you, there's countless times you run into it, and you know, I was one of these people as well that are scared stiff. <laughs> I was going to say something else there, but scared stiff. Let's stick with of, that one, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scared stiff of sales because either they they have this perception that it is kind of like for those in England, there was a series called. Um, who come from England, they'll know this. It's like Del Boy, so it's like a, a TV series, like a car salesman. And yes. there's, there's, the, it, it kind of like promotes a lack of trust yeah. rather than. But it's interesting because I speak to people over in America, and quite often to be in sales is this. It's quite, it's an accolade because it's this such an important part of a business. Yes. But often when we think about it, especially entrepreneurs seem to seem to have this thought process more than maybe in the corporate world. But it's it's this weird um, association that sales is a, you know, snake oils and and all sorts of weird stuff. Uh, and actually, if I'm honest, Jeff, that's that's part of the reason why I started the the business. Uh, I've seen so many times people put off um, by uh, what they think sales might be. So there's two bits for me. I think, um, and you're right here in the UK versus uh, you know uh, the way sales is treated across the states. There are two very very different viewpoints. Uh, and if I'm honest, I think a lot of people have a negative thought on sales because they've had a negative experience themselves. What a lot of people, and certainly entrepreneurs sometimes uh, fail to grasp is they set the tone and the culture of selling in their organization. So yes, by all means, if you want to turn into a 1980-style double-glazing salesperson, you can do that. Um, I wouldn't recommend that, by the way, but lots of folks uh, could choose that if they wish. But where people choose to build trust and and become a trusted advisor, which is some of the things that we help people do, and really um, start to understand customers and sell in an ethical and professional way, that becomes a real powerful tool. Now, now we look at this from two different perspectives because we're very fortunate. We work with some uh, universities here in the UK where we help their enterprise programs. So we're fortunate we see folks with some brilliant products and solutions, but no clue how to connect with a potential of audience uh, of customers or clients. And, and what we do is we do a lot of work. Um, so as an example, one of the courses that we run is the psychology of seller behavior versus the psychology of consumer behavior. And we get under the skin and we help people understand why they avoid certain things and why they choose to do some things that aren't helpful. So we see lots of salespeople, um, a lot of entrepreneurs who know they need to pick up the phone and speak to people, but choose not to. 
Uh, I was with this uh, with a group uh, the other day. We were running a session down uh, just north of London. Uh, Fifteen in a team, and the CEO was in the room. And um, we had a short break, and the team left, and the CEO sat there and said, "You know what, Nev? This is real, you know, fundamental stuff. All the basics we need to be doing. The team really need to hear this." He said, "But you know, I'm sat here thinking I have." I have a customer that I really should be phoning. And and these were his words. And I've meant to phone him for the past three months. And I kind of looked at him and thought, you're a CEO of a big international organization. I thought, well, actually, I said to him, so we've got a break now, 15 minutes. Why don't you pick up the phone right now and speak to him? And he thought, he went, well, actually, he's in the Middle East and it's a it's a weekend at the uh, in the Middle East at the minute, so I'm not going to do that. He said, but, and I made him, I made him put something in his diary uh, for a, a two or three days' time. I said, I need that feedback to let me know you've done that. And he sent me an email about four days later saying, thanks for the little push to get this done. I didn't phone that customer. I actually phoned that customer and another, and I confirmed two significant orders for the company. And I looked at it and think, and one of my mantras is sales itself is actually really, really easy. The complex bit in selling is people, and that's both the, both the seller and the customer. And in this case, all that the seller needed to do was pick up the phone, n- no pushy, no difficult techniques, just go and engage customers in a conversation to say, hey, how's things, what's going on, what's new? And all of a sudden, he's got two brand new significant sales on his desk. It's as simple as that. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's. I mean, I've st- I struggled with sales for a long, long time, and I've I've done one of your courses, and it was absolutely brilliant. And um, it was my granddad who was who his his saying was to me, "You should if to be good at sales, you've got to be able to sell glasses to a blind man." <laughs> that was something that he always used to say to me. And I remember he put me. He used to have this company where he sold confectionery yeah. to local shops. Yes. And um, so I was on the vans at 17 years old, just past my driving, off to Scotland and, and all over the place. And I wasn't, a, I wasn't a confident person. So to go into a shop or to go into uh, to speak to a client, and when that client says no, it was like oh, the ultimate rejection. Yes. But it, but it's getting to that. It's getting to understand that actually, my granddad used to say, and I didn't understand till I started my own business really is it's not no forever. No. It's just no, they don't need you at that moment in time. Yes. So don't take it as a complete offense. Yes. Or a rejection, because all it is is, you know, he doesn't need it yet, or they don't need it yet. So yes. just keep going back, and when they do need it, if it's a product that they want from you, mm-hmm. they will buy that. And I th- it's that it's that mental game, isn't it, the sales side as well? It, it is. And again, you know, one of the things, one of the fascinating areas for us is we look at a lot of uh, the work around resilience and what that means in sales. Uh, and very often, and you're right, you know, for some customers saying no, it does mean not now. And for other customers are saying no, because we haven't explained particularly well, or actually, if I'm honest, we haven't often understood exactly what they want and we sell at the wrong moment. So for me, I think that um, professional persistence and it's a kind of a real simple tip. Uh, everybody wants to know the perfect time to follow up. When somebody said no, you know, not now, everybody wants to know the perfect time to follow up. And I often get asked, Nev, so how on earth do I figure out, you know, when's the best time to follow up? And, and the answer is just stunningly simple, but so many people miss it. Simply ask them. And I, I've got an email in my inbox this morning, a potential client of ours, um, I did a proposal for probably six months ago. They've had a huge expansion in the business. They haven't been able to pick up on our training. I dropped through a message and said, you know, how's things? How's the expansion? What's going on? I said, really, really busy. Can't speak to you yet. I went, great. 
when would you like to speak? When's good for you? And she came back and said, can you give me a nudge in the middle of November? And of course, that's what I'll do. So if we take the time to ask our customers how they want to be followed up and when they want to be followed up, then we start building a great trustworthy relationship that develops into a sales relationship. Yeah, and you know, that's the interesting thing is as well, it's probably one of the biggest things I got from your training <laughs> was is the... You know, it, it. You know, you've known me long enough. Mm. Is my job is conversation. I love yes. conversation. I love. Sometimes I speak too much. Um, <laughs> never, but, never. <laughs> but it was that there was a part in the training that talked about one of the last questions was is um, how you end the conversation. Yes. So it was almost like you know. So what would what. I'm trying to think what it is. I know how to articulate <laughs> in my head, but it's kind of like that question is well, what is it that would make what is this? What is the conversation? What is it that you need to make that okay? Yes, so, for you, um, I'm sure you can articulate it in a far, far <laughs> better a way. Different things. It depends. We, but you know, what, what's a great next step for you? How would you like me best to follow this up? Uh, you know, when do we next meet up and follow this up? What's the best next step for you? And how would you like to kind of? It, it's really it's engaging the customer, and understanding from their perspective. Because if we get that balance right and if we ask rather than try to guess or assume, then we don't get frustrated and lots of sellers get frustrated that, you know, a customer hasn't moved something forward. Well, the greatest truth in life is um, you are not anywhere near in their top 10 list of most important things. Um, and once you get over that, that's really important. But then if you start asking rather than guessing or assuming, you start to build a relationship that is focused on fact and actuals rather than best guesses and frustrations. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Nev, um, th brilliant. Thank you very, very much. Um, obviously, what we're going to do now is is we're going to go from obviously your experience and your knowledge and that sort of stuff to the quiz time point where I'm okay. going to ask you a set of standard questions I ask every single guest because I'm always fascinated what shows up. Yes. Um, so question number one is, is how much time do you spend a month on your own personal development? Um, the, the honest answer and from the heart is probably not enough. Okay, <laughs> and it is it is because one of the things that um, I've come to, and, and so one of my favourite expressions. So let me rewind a bit. One of my favourite expressions in life is every day is a school day. Yes. Now, if we talk about personal development in the traditional sense, uh, probably not enough. So, uh, and I'm going to come, I'm going to loop back and explain what I mean by that. But one of the great learnings for me, and this sounds really strange, every time I train a team or coach an individual, I will learn something new. I'll spot a, a way that they're um, delivering themselves or talking or positioning. I think that's very interesting. I'm not saying it's good or bad. That's very interesting. What can I learn from that? So I learn from those that I'm developing, which is really, really important. Um, I, I also learn um, I'm a member of several professional organizations. So the ISMM, the Institute for Sales and Marketing Management, uh, alongside the Professional Speaking Association. And what I do is I attend events to learn from my peers. I'm, all, I'm always keen to learn from my peers. But some of the traditional things I've been less good at, um, I'm not a great reader of books. But what I'm finding is um, because I've been telling myself for that too long now, I'm now starting to tell myself I'm actually getting better at reading business books. So I'm just about to finish uh, Matthew Syed's latest uh, Black Box Thinking. And that, that's okay. challenged me and made me think in a number of ways. But I'm also now booking myself onto training and development for myself on a regular basis. Because one of the things I think is really important, you know, doing what we both do, Jeff, you know, either coaching or training or working with folks is you've got to keep yourself sharp and you've got to keep yourself ahead of the game. And that's that's a really important bit for me. 
Yeah, and that you actually bring up a really good point is, is there's there's when we work on self development can be reading books, but the quite often when I'm working with sort of either newbie coaches or or even therapists that have just come into the sort of training it's they will be amazed how much they can learn from that communication with their clients yes and it's because the feedback you get because one you read a book and the book says do it like this and then you go and work with a client and it goes hang on that doesn't that did not work how it was supposed to turn out like yes and i think it's having that flexibility and that fluid motion to go do you know what this this client or this person i've spoken to has taught me a completely new lesson Mm. in that and i think that there is that massive benefit of being open and learning from every single um conversation or interaction you have yes because that means you're susceptible to always learn and i think there's that you know as you say every day is a school day Uh, and and that's really really important and and, and absolutely agree that you pick up stuff the the other thing that i've got much much better over time doing is um an awful lot of self-reflection so I'm, I'm yes. training a team tomorrow, and I know when I come away from that session, I'll be driving back. I'm, I'm driving to that venue and driving back. On the drive back, I'll be thinking about, well, actually, what worked well today and what do we keep for next time? But I'll also mm. be thinking, well, what, what lessons have I learned? What didn't go so well that I can learn a lesson from and tweak and improve? And sometimes it's the tiny little tweaks and improves. It could be a word. It could be positioning of an exercise. It could be the way the room was. It could be any number of things, but all yeah. those are vital learning to improve what we do. No, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Okay, so question number two yes. is what is your favourite personal development book? <laughs> Not reading very much. There may only be two and they're the ones you've made. But, um, and why? What is my favourite personal development book and why? Or actually, it may not necessarily be a traditional personal development book. It may be a book that you have read that has just taught you something about life and work and something else. Um, I'm I'm going to go for a person if that's okay, rather than a book. Yeah. yeah. So one of okay. the th- one of the things I've I've got into a lot recently is audio books, and mm-hmm. um, I've been a big fan of Jim Rohn's work for quite some time. Now yeah. um, I invested two years ago an entire collection of everything that Jim had done, and um, I now take Jim in the car pretty much wherever I go. Uh, and yeah. some of his life lessons and some of, and, and one of the things I love in life is is just focusing on the real basics. And Jim yes. Rohn has a great way of stripping things back and pointing out some of the very simple things that most of us step past or step over on a daily basis. Uh, and I love the fact he can simplify the most complex things and challenge you to think about life. And, if, and, and I, I use life, I don't necessarily say business, life in a very, very yeah. different way. So I'm going to, rather than a specific book, I'm going to say no, the no, entire collection yeah. of uh, Jim he, Rohn. Yeah, he has a, he has a, he had a masterful way of doing that sort of thing. Yes. Yes. Okay. So now question number three is now if, if, um, what is your favorite app other than Evernote? Because <laughs> we've, we've only had six episodes. Um, so you'll be the sixth episode and all of a sudden everyone that I speak to and talk about immediately come up with Evernote. So we're going to choose something other than Evernote. Okay. Um, so let me give you a tiny bit about Evernote. Uh, I don't use it. Everybody, okay. sp- I'm going to. You break can get out of the cave now. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, I've slipped down the ladder now. I will be yeah, show yeah. number six. You're going to be episode forty-seven now. <laughs> but it's really interesting because I see lots of folks use Evernote and tell me how great it is, and I, and I dabble with it for a little while. But if mm. I'm honest, um, I use it less and less. Uh, sorry, yeah. I, I don't use it at all. Um, and, mm. and I keep thinking perhaps I should go back and revisit it. So this might be a little nudge for me to go and do that. Uh, what app 
do I use more often than not? And I'm, if I'm going to be absolutely genuine here, it's almost certainly um, either my Facebook or my tw- – actually, yeah, either my Facebook or my Twitter app. Uh, and okay. the reason is I love the social connected piece. And I love mm. the thought of keeping in contact with and engaging with my network all of the time. Uh, and yeah. while obviously I'm a huge uh, LinkedIn fan, having written sales success on LinkedIn and you know yeah. training people on LinkedIn, I love the social and instant nature of both Twitter and Facebook for keeping up with people. And I think that's a real nice way of engaging. It's um, If I'm having a downtime for five minutes in a day, I do like to dive into those two apps and see what's happening in the world. Brilliant. Excellent. Okay. Question number four Mm. is what is your biggest business mistake and what did it teach you? Um, It's pretty reflecting on that point we talked about earlier on the cash flow piece. Uh, And I've actually seen a couple of businesses struggle with the same point and I've been able to help them with this. Mm. It's honestly, it's manage the cash flow and manage the figures. Uh, Mm -hmm. Now, having come from a corporate background, I got very, very used to writing lots of reports to tell everybody where they were with figures. And, you know, I I got so used to that. And I stopped doing that when I started new results. So when I started the business, I kind of of had a vague idea in my head as to where I was. And that vague idea would tell me whether I was doing okay or not very well. But yeah. what we've started doing now is, and we've done this for about the, the last year or so, is I write a weekly report. We're not a big team. There's only three directors, but I write a weekly report. Now, I've been told that I can automate that report and I can pull all the information from our CRM, but I don't want to do that. I love the manual task of 10 to 15 minutes once a week going, okay, what does my pipeline look like? What training is booked for the following quarter? So look look forward a quarter. Then uh, my wife, who does the finance and the business, what cash is in the bank? What's invoicing that's due to come in? And then I look ahead and say, what pipeline have I got that's going to close the next 30 days? So rather than end up, you know, if somebody says to you, well, how's things? Well, I think or I feel, I can give uh, absolute definitive answers. So one of the things that a lot of entrepreneurs seem to fall over with is not managing the cash. And I get that. And, I, and, and if, if I'm honest, the way I – sorry, the reason I probably didn't was I was a bit scared at, at, at the start. I didn't make as much money as I hoped to do. I went through some real difficult times of just not having any money. And it was probably easy to avoid that than to admit to myself things were yeah. a challenge. So yeah. now I manage that really, really carefully. I know not exactly, but I've got a really yeah. good impression of exactly where we are as a business. You make a good point because sometimes it's the inner rebel sort of, no, I'm just not doing it the way I used to do it yeah. because I, I want to do something different. Yes. And there is this other thing where I know for many years I was scared of opening my, you know, like the apps on the phone. Yeah. I was scared of physically opening the apps up because of what the finance figure would be. Yes. And it's there's nothing worse when you open that phone. Go, please be, please be, please don't. Whatever you do, don't be red. Don't be red. Yeah. And it's and it's that because if I had known, I would have mentally prepared myself before looking at it for a start. But it's that gear to go crank up a gear. You need to get some more sales in yeah. rather than having that fear. No, great point. Great point. Good. Um, okay, so the next one is: What are your challenges in balancing work and life? Ah, well, <laughs> I probably have some fairly unique challenges here. Um, <laughs> my wife, being a co-director in the business, uh, presents new challenges and new opportunities. And this is actually something we were just discussing at the weekend. Uh, I travel a lot for work. 
I'm not sure if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but my wife seems to be sending me right the way around the country and right the way around the world whenever she can on a regular basis. I don't know if that says more about a relationship or more about a business. Not entirely certain. But 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 this is a real difficult piece. Um, and um, my wife had to take a bit of time off recently, um, a, a little while ago, uh, and, and travel to see a relative who wasn't very well. And actually what I realized at that point was I l lost my support network at home, which was my wife because she supports me so much at home. We have a, a very equal and balanced relationship at home. But equally, I lost a co-director in my business and, and I hadn't realized quite how exposed we were. So what I've done is uh, we've been working really hard to pull some extra resource into the business to allow for that resilience piece when we need it. Yeah. Uh, and the, the, the work life, uh, and, and I suppose... Uh, when I was employed, I talked a lot about work-life balance for myself and for my team. Uh, and I suppose the new trendy phrase at the minute is work-life integration. And yes, that, that is the buzzword. It, it is. Yes. And one of the bits I'm really trying to focus on is um, how to give myself some proper downtime away from work email. And, and just yesterday, out walking, it was a Sunday yesterday, I was out walking with my wife. Um, and we talked about um, some work and we were saying we need to do this and there's that and that's come up. And that's great. And she said to me, OK, that's work done now. Can we talk about us and, you know, everything from a personal perspective? From, yes. Yeah. So we recognize yeah. that and it's just providing those lines and those breaks that are absolutely clear. Yeah. And it's 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 having that it's having that foresight, isn't it, to acknowledge that, OK, we need to look at it. And I think that I think that's the thing is, is because. I think, but I think actually work-life integration is far more apt than balance because I think there's this throw-up word and we say, no, no, it needs to be 50-50. And it's like, as an entrepreneur especially, it is never, ever going to be 50-50, ever. Because it's, and it's not just work-life because life has about 17 different things <laughs> yes. that are attached to it. Yes. And so does work. So it's, it's looking at how do we integrate it and, and always remembering that the majority of the time, the reason why people started their own business was because they wanted to have more quality time with the people that are important to them. Yes. And yet that is one of the things that they fall back on and probably neglect, not on purpose, but neglect because they're trying to get their business off the ground. And it's it's having that it's having that foresight to go, okay, these these are the rules that we need to put in place to help us move forward i think the other thing on that and that's the you're absolutely right jeff the, the, the other thing to add to that is uh, the very nature of uh, being um, an entrepreneur or a business owner is um, mm. you generally really enjoy what you do and i think most entrepreneurs I, I meet who who have successful businesses certainly and uh, and really get a kick they really love what they do and it's very hard to switch off something that you really love doing so Probably you get yeah. engrossed you get sucked in and you get you know, you, you find yourself wanting to give it more and more time, which which is good, but at the same time, you need yeah. to make sure that you have that balance there as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, so question six mm. is what advice would you give an entrepreneur that you wish you had known when you were starting out? Um, well, the cash flow one, I think I've really banged on about, so I'm not going to say that. I think so. We're going to choose something else. <laughs> yeah, we're going to choose something else. <laughs> and, and you'd probably expect this from me is um, get ready to sell. Yes. And I think, you know... Uh, this is obviously a personal, uh, passionate plea from me, really. Um, I mm. see some entrepreneurs who genuinely have brilliant ideas, but spend so much time polishing and refining and, and spending so much time getting the product, the service, the solution absolutely perfectly right. Uh, and one of the bits that I honestly believe is you need to get it out and go and speak to people as early as possible. And notice I didn't say sell, just go and speak to people. Uh, yeah. And the bit for me is um, that often gets uh, missed out, you know, uh, 
entrepreneurs or somebody who starts a business or new business owners think, I need to go networking, I need to go and meet people and, and have that cup of coffee and go to those events, that's fine. And I'd say, yes, go and do that. But also think about your network and your network as you start your business are the people who exist in your phone. And yes, I do mean your Uncle Frank and Susan used to work with and Phil yeah. that you used to go and play football with or whatever it might be. You have a network of contacts who already know you and some of them might even like you if you're a nice person. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying, you, you, but yeah. you can go out to that network and tell them what you do, what you do and ask for a tiny bit of help because it never ceases to amaze me how big a network that people have and how little use of that network they make. So go out and tell people passionately about what you're going to do, what it is you're looking to achieve and who you're looking to get in front of. And you will be honestly, and this is never not worked. If you go out and tell people, you will find some connections, you'll find some introductions, you'll find um, some extended network that will help drive and grow your business much more quickly. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Totally agree. And actually, just to, to demonstrate that is um, one of my goals this year, as you know, was to get on to on some of the major podcast shows. Yes. Um, and EO Fire was the one that I'd always wanted to be on for, for the last couple of years, but I, obviously, I didn't. I don't know John D- John Lee Dumas. I, you know, it's not someone I can pick up on my phone and go, "Yo, John." Yes. You know, I like to pee on the show. But it was looking at it was speaking to people and and one voicing that that's a that's a goal of mine. Yes. But also, it was speaking to people within my network, and all of a sudden, it was, oh, well, hang on, I, I, I know him. So, and I would never have known this unless I'd asked. Exactly. Is well, I know him, so I'll, I'll, uh, I'll put a message in, message in. I got invited onto the show, and you know, and, and that was you know something to celebrate on. But it's it is using that existing network that you've got because you just you have no idea of the power. It's quite often they'll go, oh, I didn't even know you did that. Yes. You know, and it's like what. <laughs> You're only my mum, yes. you know, so it's like things, things like that. So I'll, I'll make that exact point, Jeff, and you're absolutely right. So many of your friends and family do not know what you do. So, And I'm going to be dead honest. No. My wife's a co-director in the business. She runs, yeah. she organises, she, she effectively makes my life in business. Yeah. But she doesn't always know what I do when I go out and train. And yeah. it's really hard. You, yeah, you have to take a, bit, a little bit of time and invest in your network and tell them more about what you do. See what you can give back to your network because very often your network needs all sorts of different types of help and nurturing. But if you yeah. can go out and start explaining people, you're right, Jeff, and I know we've talked about this in the past. As you ask your network, it's amazing how many of these connections and little things drop into place and things happen. Yeah, no, brilliant. Excellent. Okay, so the final question yes. is the life lesson question. Right. So as usual, I ask my guests to pick a number between 1 and 50. And whatever number you land on is a le- is related or associated, sorry, to a lesson. So one to fifty, what number would you like? I'm gonna go for the meaning of life. Forty-two, please. Forty-two. Ah, comfort zone. <laughs> yes. Okay. The 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 challenge of breaking past it. Yes. In order to learn to grow. So the lesson for me was is nothing ever changed until I was willing to go past it. Yes. Um, because quite often is is hence why it's called a comfort zone. Yes. Success and change generally come af- when it's uncomfortable. Yes. Because it's you are learning new skills, new beliefs, new thought processes, new strategies. Um, and I'll be intrigued to know what you think about that. Well, I have a 
personal mantra on this, and this is, this is something that I've come to uh, share. And it, I, I, I'm really pleased I've stumbled on 42 because <laughs> I couldn't have picked a better number there, Jeff. And that clearly Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, a rule of life. Exactly. And <laughs> um, uh, um, uh, my expression, my mantra in this space is uh, your true potential exists outside of your current comfort zone. Uh, and it's Absolutely. it's exactly that piece for me, uh, and yeah. um, we've been reading a lot of research around comfort zones. This is obviously when we talk about the psychology of seller behaviour. This is something that comes in time and time again, and what mm. happens is we we all develop this kind of pattern of um, non-helpful behaviour when it comes to our comfort zones because we we don't like that discomfort. Um, yeah. but, but I think when we help people step out safely, I don't mean kind of you know let's leap as far outside of our comfort zone as possible. When you no. do it in a safe environment and your help outside of your comfort zone supported and those supports and, and it comes back to that reflection piece when I do something outside of my comfort zone uh, what went well and what am I going to keep and what didn't go so well and what lessons can I learn when you do that piece then you'll find people can grow and take some quite big steps uh, and uh, as we see people step outside their comfort zones and do some new stuff we see them getting really excited they get excited yes. by the personal um um, journey they've taken by the rewards they get by stepping outside the comfort zones and and they see new potential to do even more and i think the yeah. more we do that individually and collectively the better we become as a society and as a group of individuals yeah and you can never go back either that's the great thing about it as soon as you've done it you've grown already without you even really sometimes acknowledging it or understanding it you've already stepped outside it and it's already that little bit bigger absolutely so it's it's about that moving constantly moving and allowing some settling yes. don't always constantly move because i think then you sometimes don't appreciate what you've achieved yes but it's that willingness to go okay I've, you know i'm settled on this a little bit it's more natural than everything else right what's next uh, rather than that constant let's run three thousand miles outside of our comfort zone and gets a bit too scared it, it, absolutely and, and that's the bit that we talk about that reflective practice piece look at how far yeah. we've come and not enough folks spend time looking back and thinking do you know what from where i started in this area where how small my comfort zone was to where mm. i am now and what i'm absolutely comfortable with mm. uh, and we need to, we, and this is I suppose a reflective practice the mindfulness piece it's looking yeah. back and think actually where did I start? Where am I now? How how strong and great the journey has uh, has been. And I yeah. suppose that's that's great when you ask people at the start of the show about the journey. That that really does tie yeah. in. Uh, but yeah. that piece for me is all about how you've learned and how you can take that and how you can apply more of it. Brilliant, Neb. Thanks very much for um, taking the time out of your day to to speak to us on the show. Could you share with us how we could get hold of you? Um, obviously, you've written a book, and it's a great book because I have it on my Kindle. Brilliant. Um, could you please share with us how people can get hold of you? Yeah, of course. Um, if you go and look at our website, which is uh, currently New Results Training, um, but by the time um, the, the, the episode's out, we may well be at New Results. Either way, newresults.co.uk will get to us. Uh, please do look me up on LinkedIn. Um, Twitter and Facebook. Uh, the book Sales Success on LinkedIn is on Amazon. And I just just to be a tiny bit awkward, I do spell my name in an unusual way. I am N-E-V-I-L, and my surname is Tynemouth, which is a real hard one to find. Uh, but it's T-Y-N-E-M-O-U-T-H on any of the platforms. Uh, we do YouTube, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, the whole bit. Uh, come and give me a nudge. And one of my lessons in life and one of the things I've learned is I'm always happy to have a chat over the phone or over a coffee with anybody who, who has a reasonable approach and wants to, uh, wants to have a conversation. 
Brilliant. Thanks very much, Devin. What we'll also do is we'll also put this information on the show notes as well so um, they can access that whenever they want. So, Nev, thank you very much for being on the show again. I hope you have an amazing day. Thanks, Jeff. Really appreciate it. Brilliant. Thanks, Nev. A whackload of information there. Tons of notes I've taken while I've done this. I'll have to review them after the show. So if you found anything useful, please take some time just to jump over to iTunes, rate us, leave a review. It's a great way to help me make a bigger impact to the world. And, you know, as usual, if you have got any emails that you want to send me, any questions, any requests on topics, please email podcast at jeffnicholson.co.uk. If you want to find my social media links or anything like that, jump over to the website, which is www.jeffnicholson.co.uk. These are all found in the show notes as well. I just want to take this opportunity to say, have a truly amazing week. I wish you the greatest success and I look forward to speaking to you next week.